Well, hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Kevin. Welcome to the Jesus is Dope podcast, where we take Jesus at his word and uh, see if he is as relevant as he claims to be, and many of us believe him to be, and wrestle with his actual teachings. Uh, And so I want to start in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5, with two verses that will seem kind of lame, perhaps, or just like a flavor text. Um, but, but they're important to start here because these words lead to, to the longest recording teaching that we have from Jesus and what you might say are his most famous collection of teachings. So let's read verse one and two, uh, Matthew chapter five, when now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, And it stops there because what begins in verse 3 and the next following verses are known as the Beatitudes, which is just the beginning of this long recorded teaching. And uh, think of it too as a collection of teachings because Jesus would have been teaching these types of concepts and principles all over the place in the first century world. But here in this moment on this mountainside this day, Matthew, one of Jesus' original followers, got to be one of his disciples, records, uh, again, it's the longest teaching that we ever get um, in, in the stories from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, who more commonly are kind of just referred to as the Gospels, those books. But these are like eyewitnesses and people who interviewed eyewitnesses so that we could kind of get closer to Jesus, to hear what he was saying and what he was about. And so this, these are the words from Matthew, who's about to record what Jesus teaches. But I don't think we should skip these words. Um, because they help kind of set the stage and the context for us. Now, Matthew uh, not only got to be one of the original followers, we also know that Matthew had a a good mind for numbers and for details. Uh, And this is, we know this because he was a tax collector prior to becoming a full-time companion uh, of Jesus, uh, what they would call a disciple, literally following him, helping support him, um, like part of his entourage when he came to new towns and things. But, but, we know that he was a tax collector, so he's, we know that he's smart and he's good with details and numbers, and so you can see that in a number of ways, the way he records and recounts these stories of Jesus for us. And Matthew, um, he got to be there for nearly all three rough years, you know, it's like three-ish years, um, but he got to be there for nearly all of it, uh, of Jesus's ministry, like when he was publicly teaching and doing things, the miracles, uh, the mobs, the, I mean, like the crowds that wanted to hear from Jesus and the mobs that often wanted to kill him uh, for the teachings. And and so when we when we read these words, like we are hearing from someone who walked with them. This is amazing. And, and I don't want you to miss or make sure we highlight the fact that he was a tax collector because it's hard to undersell how hated he would have been for this fact, all right? Because none of us today like paying taxes. Uh, I don't, at least. Um, and if you're a kid not working yet, just know you won't really like it. But in his day and age, it wasn't like Matthew worked for the IRS, and so he just wasn't like popular, but no big deal. It's way worse. It's like he worked for the IRS and ISIS or some other terrorist group, okay? And, and it's because uh, the Jewish people were occupied by the Roman Empire, and they saw the Roman Empire as evil and oppressive and tyrants. And worse than that would be a Jewish person from his own community working on their behalf. So, so Matthew is levying taxes against his own people, his own community for Rome. So anyway, he's just massively not liked. All right, he's a social outcast, and, and yet that didn't seem to slow Jesus down for making him a founding member 
of the movement that he was building. Think about that for a second. It has, I think, a lot to say to us. But let's get back to the verses for just a second and remind you of them. Um, this Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we'll kind of take it maybe a verse at a time or a concept at a time, so I don't know how long this will take. And, you know, I'm just making this up as we go. So welcome along for the journey. But uh, I want to just read the words one more time to you. So Matthew says that, now when Jesus saw the crowd, so there were people like following him around, they wanted to hear more from him. He went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said. Now, I think this is important to kind of try to picture both the crowd and the mountainside. Um, and, and then like you can like physically imagine this. Go to Google Maps and search the Church of the Beatitudes. And it'll take you to this little place north of the modern town of Tiberias, um, where, which is up on a hillside. It's a church that's been built. And is it the exact spot? Nobody knows, but it's very probable because it's up a mountainside from <clears throat> the ancient city of Capernaum. So you can go today and visit the ruins of the city of Capernaum. And this city is where uh, Peter's from, uh, who's also one of Jesus' first followers. And, and you could think of Capernaum as kind of the headquarters of Jesus's ministry, um, other than like when he would be in Jerusalem and stuff down south, being here, Capernaum was kind of the HQ. It's where he spent a lot of his time. And from there, where he would branch out and preach and do lots of things. And so if you go to this, you can actually, on Google Maps, you can take the little the little man, you know, and you can drop him on the roads. And you can even drop him on the church property. And you can visually see what it's like. And that, that to me is the point, is see what it looks like to look over this lake and to, to imagine being up on this hillside, to be these first century people who were Jewish, uh, and there's lots of other non-Jewish people there, they called them Gentiles, and they're people who had begun to hear that this guy might be a prophet, or he might be a, just a miracle worker, or he's a, an incredible speaker, teacher, and so people followed him, people came around him, and what's happening in this moment is somewhere on this hillside, mountainside, Jesus sits down and starts to teach them. It's beautiful to picture. And it's beautiful to picture the kinds of people because when it says that his disciples came and he began to teach them, when you think of the disciples and the crowds, these are everyday people like you and me. All right? well, I mean, we just talked about Matthew being a tax collector. We could go down the list of the original quote-unquote 12. Um, and, and there were other disciples be beyond them. But to think about who these people were, uh, it's it's so amazing. Um, and so, you know, as he was visiting synagogues and um, teaching places, it sparked interest and outrage. <laughs> it even says that when um, Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth at one point, like they were so angered by what he had to say because he claimed that he was there as like the son of God, which is this way of saying like God in the flesh to to bring sight to the blind and freedom to the captives and the people didn't like that so much that they wanted to throw him off a cliff, which is a very extreme, um, weird, violent sense of reaction. Like I, I don't know, I've never thought about doing that, I guess. And I don't know if that was normal in that day. In fact, it, today, if you hear the phrase ever, uh, like a, a prophet in his own town, like rejected, that, that comes from the story of Jesus going back to his hometown. And they're like, you know, other people think he might be the Messiah and there's all this kind of um, fame and stories being told about him, but his hometown's like, what, that's just Jesus. Like we went to high school together. Are you kidding? Um, so anyway, 
so he's he's building this movement. He's teaching. He's making people angry. Um, and some of those people aren't just like his hometown who are like, how presumptuous of you and, and actually blasphemous of you to claim to be God. But Jesus is also challenging the religious teachers. And this is really important because even that little line at the end of these verses today, he said, are a reminder of who he is and who he claimed to be, of the authority that he had, uh, that he claimed to have. And so we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. But go back to picturing the disciples. Go back to picturing the crowd. Right? His disciples were kind of this motley crew. Um, and, and we can't miss that first calling them disciples for them culturally was really, really important, all right? Because Jesus was a rabbi. In order to have disciples, you had to be a rabbi. In order to be a rabbi meant you had to be among the best of the best of the best in knowing scripture and in of like knowing God, essentially. Like, like sometimes, you know, today in many ways, people, we have a reverence or respect for theologians and pastors, but this, this was like on steroids. This is more equivalent to what it was like, um, what it, what it's like today for celebrity athletes. Like we revere celebrity athletes. I was just at the Michigan football game yesterday, and to see these little kids walking around in their JJ McCarthy jerseys or their Blake Corum jerseys, and and trying to get a chance to get close to them or to say hi to them or get an autograph from them. There's this reverence we have today in our culture for people like that. The rabbis were like that, and so much more. They were the authority of God. They were uh, popular, famous. People wanted to hear from rabbis because rabbis helped them understand the scriptures. And, and so it was, it was this incredible honor to get to be that. Now, one of the things that's really important to picture too is that when you think of the disciples and the original followers of Jesus, they're not just 12 names and there's not just 12 of them. We know that sometimes there's 72 of them and over 100 of them, and we know that there were women. And this is important because uh, only men in Jewish culture could officially be a disciple. But there were absolutely women who were officially followers of Jesus. And others might not officially recognize them as disciples, but they were all the same. And when I have more time, we will probably come back to just this, this little asterisk next to stories when we talk about disciples or the men's names, because uh, there's so much to be said and explored uh, around this context. So it's like a rabbit hole at the moment, but it's really inspiring because um, th there are so many challenging and beautiful things to, to say here about uh, I mean, culturally, we can understand women weren't officially recognized as disciples, but that had no bearing on how Jesus saw them. And in the same way he had companions and followers for men, he did for women. And, and suffice to say this, that's just like one thought for you. Later in the story of Matthew and the other writers of the Gospels, we know that the only followers of Jesus that didn't abandon him when he was betrayed, falsely tried, brutally beaten, and ultimately publicly executed the only followers that didn't abandon him were the women. <laughs> I'm just saying like that to me just gives me goosebumps because there's something so powerful and so beautiful about the subversive nature of what Jesus teaches and what he did. He upended the social norms of his time and he calls us today like then he did it in the first century and he, he wants to turn our life upside down and he wants our actions and our view of the world to be flipped upside down to be more heaven-like and less earthly, less dividing who's in, who's out, who's better, who's worse. And so there's a bunch of really cool girl power moments in scripture 
we'll have to like do a whole thing on those. But right now, just know that his disciples weren't the likely crew. And, and that's the point. Um, that again, being a rabbi was made him famous. But rabbis also had what they called their yoke. The yoke was like that rabbi's um, interpretation of how to live out the scriptures, to live out a relationship with God, to be religious or, um, or, or just to be a good person or live a good life. And that yoke um, is imagery that, I mean, it comes right from farming, right? You put a yoke on two oxes that holds them together. And when you hold the two oxes together, it, it increases the power of both of them and their ability to plow and to farm, to create food for life. And so this imagery of a yoke is, is intentional. And Jesus will later refer to his own yoke as easy and light in comparison to other rabbis, because the yoke that Jesus, the interpretation, the way to make it simple and live this life to the best, uh, the fullness that he actually promises, if, if we'll listen to his teaching, it's like we put on this yoke and it'll increase our power in this life, our efficiency in the way that we live, the fullness of the good life, you could say, the, the life we all want. And so when he's teaching and he's drawing crowds, he's inviting people to follow him like a disciple. Now, people couldn't do that before, but he claimed to come for all of us to have the fullness of life, to have freedom in our life, and not for a heaven someday, but that right now today, you and I would feel peace, we would feel free, and we would live with a purpose, that we would know what God is really like through Jesus, that he would become to you and I like a rabbi of the first century. He could be our rabbi now. And the disciples, again, are kind of a motley crew. There's Matthew, who wasn't famous, um, or wasn't very popular, I mean. And then the, all of them had issues. Um, so think about this. To grow up in the Jewish culture, most people were done with any form of schooling uh, at a pretty young age. And then they had this incredible capacity to remember. They, you know, Everything were like oral traditions and stories. And so scriptures and the stories were all passed down through oral tradition. And so by like the age of six, a young Jewish boy would have like all of the Psalms memorized. And I don't know if you flip through Psalms. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of pages. Um, but then only the, the young students who showed um, real promise would get to move to the further parts of the education system. And most Jewish boys, by the age of, of like 13, 14, like by the time they're, they're hitting adolescence for us in modern terms, they were no longer in the education system and they're apprenticing in the family business. Now, the reason that is, is because they were rejected by the traditional education system here in like modern terms. They're working in the family business because they couldn't uh, excel in the one business or industry that everyone cared the most about and that was their religion, the Jewish religion. Only the rabbis could become that. And to become a rabbi was incredibly difficult. And to become a rabbi, you had to find another rabbi who believed you could become like him and follow him and he would let you become his disciple. All right, so don't lose this imagery because it's so freaking cool that these disciples and followers of Jesus were people overlooked by others in their culture. Maybe not as successful or maybe successful like Matthew, but in a really unpopular way. And Jesus just invites everybody. <laughs> he invites you and me. And he's not looking for the perfect. He's not looking for the smartest and the brightest. He's looking for all of us. And I don't know, I just, I love that.
Now, that's important to get the context of where we're headed for the next few weeks. But there's one other thing to focus in on when Jesus is teaching, what is he doing? And those last two words of these first two verses we started with said that he said. He is obviously Jesus. And what he said mattered. And the reason it got written down and the reason that people have been talking about it and studying it for thousands of years and you and I are listening right now to wrestle with this stuff is because Jesus claimed some things that were very unique. He taught that fullness in life came through him. And we don't have time to totally jump into this and we'll get here in a few weeks, which I'm really excited about. But just a few verses later in Matthew chapter five, verse 17 and 19, Jesus said this to people, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now the law and the prophets is what we today kind of call the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. Like um, you can think of that when you look at that big first half of the Bible, if you have one, like that's the Bible Jesus had. All right, so law and prophets is shorthand way of referring to that whole thing. But he says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside the uh, side one of the least of these commands and teaches other accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He's basically saying, don't try to ignore this or downplay it. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's inviting us to practice this. Like literally he's claiming that he has the authority to teach you and I things that will set us free and change the course of our life. He claims to be God and claims that all of the scriptures in the Old Testament point to him. And so that the better you and I get to know him, the better we can come to know ourselves or life, or how to live it. And, and again, we'll return to this concept in greater de depth uh, in a couple of weeks. But in this moment, we get Jesus's clearest claim of why people should listen to him and why you and I should. Elsewhere in the stories we will read about when people would hear Jesus teach, they were like, man, he's teaching as someone different or, or with an authority that they've never experienced. And, and the question comes, where did that authority come from? Right? If you're a Christian, you believe it's because Jesus is God, because that's what he says. But, but if you're not a Christian, you believe Jesus maybe is a good teacher or a good person, or you're just interested. And either way, we are invited to, to see that what Jesus has to say can be applied to our lives and make a difference. And so that, that's where I'll end for the day, even though there's so many more things I want to talk about, is Jesus is inviting you to come get to know him. And that's why we're here. He said a lot of things, and I want to read a lot of them, all of them. And, and I really think that he is dope. And so I hope you'll join uh, weekly for like a Sunday dose of Jesus's dopeness. And if you don't like that, I just always think it's funny, and I still love using the word dope. But more importantly, why it's relevant for you and I today in our current lives. And if, um, if you already kind of believe in Jesus, well, great, but read his words more. But if, if you want to know Jesus more, you want to figure him out, there is no better way to do it than just read what he had to say. If you want to know him, open up to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and just read his words. Read just Matthew chapter 5 this week. And if you want to know him more, read his words. If you want to know what he had to say, read his words. And 
and see what he has to say to you. And that's what I love is that I don't have to figure out all the things to say, to make it apply, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to figure this out in my own life. And I'm inviting you to work on practicing and leaning into the teachings that Jesus has for you today. Because the burden of proof is on him. If he's God, he'll take care of the details. He'll stir your spirit. And he'll show you how tomorrow and the other days of this week, he can use you. That he has things to say for you. He has places in your heart he wants to heal. He has hope that he wants to give you about where he wants to take you. And so I hope you'll be committed. Subscribe, consider donating to keep this work going as I figure out exactly how we'll do it. Hopefully it'll get better. Uh, but each week I'll sort of just make it up and we'll see where it leads us. And with that, take care for the rest of the week. Hope to hear from you.